Most Christians are familiar with John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Referencing the world, that statement sounds decidedly inclusive. No one is left out. But then we have these words from Jesus in John 14. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That sounds decidedly exclusive. So which is it? Is God inclusive or exclusive? That's the subject of our discussion today on this edition of Craving Answers, Craving God. I'm Chuck Rathert with Aaron Miller. Aaron is the pastor at St. James Lutheran Church in Glen Carbon, Illinois. Aaron, if God so loved the world, isn't that the very definition of inclusion? Yeah, this is one of the remarkable things about Christianity is that um, unlike a lot of the other religions of the world, many of which are, many of which are based on uh, ethnic identity are, um, are, are very extremely rooted in cultural heritage. A lot of the modern religions of the world, um, you know, the worship of uh, money or power, those are very exclusive as well. I mean, you, you can't, it doesn't make any sense for your, uh, you, you know, to, to, to be a, a worshiper of money if you've got no money. Uh, and if you do worship money and you've got no money, you can't help but have the sense that you are an outsider. Christianity, though, is for everybody. It's for the world. It's for all it's for both genders, it's for all socioeconomic groups, it's for all races, it's for all people. So Christianity is the most inclusive religion, philosophy, way of life in the whole world. Okay. It sounds like we're on the way to answering our question by saying that God is inclusive. Here's a couple of scriptures that I'd like to toss out there. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And then Romans chapter 5, verse 18, Paul says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. So how do those two verses work together to make the case for inclusion? Yeah, that all human language, and uh, that fits right in with the story, the rest of the story of the Bible, that uh, fr from the very beginning, uh, human beings rebel against God. Uh, the parents of our race, Adam and Eve, rebel against God. And so when God decides to rescue them and save them from the destruction that their rebellion has caused, uh, his target goal is all humans. Um extremely early on in the first book of the Bible, when God starts to lay down his cards on the table, he calls a guy named Abraham and he tells him, you're going to be my agent through which I'm going to rescue the world. Um, passively, Abraham, it's not his job to rescue the world. It's actually going to be one of his kids, he says. But he tells him, in your offspring, all of the nations of the world will be blessed. This is definitely inclusive. And then you go but jump from the first book of the Bible all the way to the last book of the Bible, which describes the very, very end, the new creation when God has finally put all things to right. And what you see gathered around the throne uh, worshiping the Lamb is every tribe, tongue, and nation, every people group, uh, all different kinds of personalities, all different kinds of ideas, 
all gathered around the throne, throne worshiping the land. Again, like I said at the in, in the your question there at the intro, extremely inclusive. Christianity is extremely inclusive. So there is, I think, I think you'd agree with me on this, a fairly strong push for the concept of inclusion in our culture, in our society today. People chafe at the uh, possibility of exclusion or exclusivity. Um, People or things that require some kind of exclusion are regarded with disdain, and I'm wondering how you think this cultural tendency affects the way we view God in this context. Yeah, that's a great question. I, so one of the deals with our culture, which is the same with every culture, is that it has a particular worldview. And that particular worldview, it assumes is universal. It's, it's uh, unstated. It, it doesn't need to be defended. It's implicitly believed by everybody who subscribes to this worldview. So, so for instance, uh, individual rights. That's that that's one of the bedrocks of our current western modern worldview and nobody nobody questions it it's 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 the trump card that everybody plays but nobody challenges you know so um hey you're you know this is if somebody's challenging your your uh, your own authority or your own ability to make a decision for yourself hey you know i'm a i'm a free human being i can do what i want to it's i, I choose my own destiny i can you know, who are you to tell me what to do? These are all questions. Now, nobody ever stops and says, do you really have a right to do what you want to do? We just assume, it. all of us, I do, you do, all of us assume that that's just it. And so it's easy in a context like that to just assume that certain things are true. And so our culture, here's where I'm going with this, our culture assumes that that viewpoint, individual rights, um, Let's just stick with individual rights for a second. Our culture assumes that individual rights is the way it should be. And so any group that says individual rights might need to be challenged or questioned are thought of as exclusive. And anybody who agrees with the cultural norm uh, is thought to be, well, we're, that's, just the, that's just the way things are. And so everybody should accept this. And so if you agree with that, you're included. And if you disagree with that, you're exclusive. I'm sorry, inclusive versus exclusive. But but here's the problem is that that viewpoint is itself exclusive. If I say, if people say, you should just welcome everybody no matter what, and Christianity doesn't welcome everybody no matter what, Christianity insists that it's the truth. The problem with that is that that itself is a truth claim. That itself is a claim which insists that if you agree with me, you're on the inside, and if you disagree with me, you're on the outside. So there's a, a long, circuitous way to get to this point here. Everybody is exclusive. Even the people that say, hey, I'm inclusive. You, I, I, I just got done saying Christianity is inclusive. You know, everybody says we're inclusive. And the problem is, is that if you disagree with that, you're, you are excluded no matter what. And so everybody at 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 the, at the end of the day, everybody is to some extent exclusive. It's unavoidable and Christianity is as well. We're going to get to that in just a second, I'm sure. But there's nobody who's really genuinely genuinely inclusive in the sense of it doesn't matter what. Everybody's invited in, it doesn't matter what. I'll I'll give you an example. Let's just say 
I'll try and think of, let's say you belong to an organization. I'll start with an easy one first. Let's say that you belong to an organization and uh, it's a club and the club is devoted to, um, let's say, um, let's just say it's your local PTA and um, you're a part of the PTA. And so uh, you have a lot of parents in your club and a lot of parents who are concerned about the, the school that the PTA serves. And let, let's say that somebody, let's say that you walk into the PTA meeting though, and you say, can I be involved here? And they say, do you have a, a kid in school? And you say, um, yeah, I do. And they say, okay, well, you can be involved. But, but it's very, very, it becomes very apparent very soon that you're not interested in helping the school, that uh, nobody's really sure why you're in there, but you, you don't care for the school and you don't care for the students and you don't care for the PTA. At some point, that PTA is going to say to you, sir, uh, you know, we appreciate your initial offer to come and help, but it's clear that this is not the organization for you. Nobody at that point would consider that PTA exclusive or in the sense of being bad. They would, this is just the way it works. Like if you're not involved. Except maybe me, if I'm the one who's being invited out. Yeah, that would be one thing. You could say, well, you're just exclusive. You don't want to include me. And they would say, well, it's not exclusive or inclusive. It's just that that we have a certain mission that you don't subscribe to, and uh, you're you know you're not a part of that. So let's say that you have a group that's uh, let's say that you have a group that's dedicated to uh, the protection of unborn children, and somebody comes in and they want to be a part of your group, but it becomes very clear early on that they're not interested in protecting unborn children. In fact, they're very very uh, pro-choice. They're very very pro-abortion. Uh, it would not be exclusive to invite them to leave, however gracious you might be. And the, and the converse is true. If there was, you know, uh, if you were on the board of the local Planned Parenthood and it became very, very clear that you were actually very, very pro-life, you wouldn't say, like, you wouldn't think it'd be, it would be ridiculous for the local Planned Parenthood to, even if they were kind, gentle people, to invite you to step down off the board because you just didn't match up with their with their ideals. That's exclusivity. And everybody's, everybody is exclusive in that sense to, to, in one way or another. So here's, I think where maybe the rubber meets the road. Um, we're talking, I think about boundaries. Stop me if I'm going in the wrong direction here. We're talking about boundaries. So we know that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. He didn't die right. just for the sins of the Jewish people or male people or rich people. He right. died for the sins of the whole world. It couldn't be more inclusive. Right. But still, there are boundaries. And everybody understands boundaries. Yes. If you have an organization, if a group of people gathers together for a certain purpose, they're going to define that purpose, and then there are going to be boundaries. And those who cross the boundaries and get outside the purpose of the organization, probably not a very good fit. So we have, I think, the challenging prospect here that there is exclusivity within inclusivity somehow. Yes. Which is where I start to need my Excedrin here. I get yes. a headache from that. So what do I do with that? Yeah, well, that's, I, I like the, the, the notion of boundaries. And, and one of the problems, to, to go back to our original the, original, the first part of the conversation, is that people who insist on human rights being the ultimate good, they don't realize that that is itself a boundary. And that's, that was the point I was trying to make earlier, probably uh, hemming and hawing too much for it to be very clear. But that if you don't under if you don't 
if you just assume that human rights is universally accepted and everybody believes it and it's the it's the and it's and you think so uncritically you won't recognize that that is itself a boundary and the charge of being exclusive it very easily comes to your lips when somebody disagrees with you and then if you point out well well what good and not even Christian, but good philosophically thinking people should point out is that, well, that's a boundary too. You're actually being exclusive. In other words, to kind of sum up what you just said, which I think might help with the confusion, is that every group is both inclusive and exclusive. Every group has boundaries, and the boundaries define who's in, inclusive, and who's out, exclusive. It's the way it works with my family. There's, you know, There's five people in my family. It's very inclusive to those five people. They can't get out of it. It's who they are. It's their identity. But it's exclusive to people who aren't in my family. If I don't have a kid in the school or if I hate the local school district or if I hate the students of the local school district, I am excluded from the PTA. If I love the local school district and I have a student there and I long to serve my school and my teachers and my student body, I'm in. I'm That's inclusive. And every group is like that. Christianity is no different. Now, the question is, how large is the scope of the inclusivity? And For Christianity, like I said at the beginning, it is the largest of any group in the entire world. Religion, philosophical group, club, you know, association, whatever. Christianity is the largest because it is for everybody. Now, what are the boundaries, though? What's the exclusivity? We can talk about that whenever you want. It does have, like all groups, it does have boundaries. But as far as the scope, the goal, it is the largest of any. Its it, it, its inclusivity goal is larger than any other group in the world. We could talk about business organizations, civic organizations. I'm gonna I'm gonna take this into the area of denominational Christianity. Different denominations, and they have they agree on many things, mm-hmm. but they disagree on some things, on some frequently minor type points if there is such a thing as a minor point in doctrinal Christianity. And so they will say, well, here's how we do it in our church. Here's how we do it in our denomination. You're welcome to join our congregation. You're welcome to be a part of our denomination. Here's how we do it here. I think it happens. As a matter of fact, I know what happens. From time to time, there are people who will come specifically for the purpose to get inside the organization and then try to change it so it looks more like they think it should look, which invariably leads to some kind of conflict. And when they cross that boundary and they say, well, I don't want to do it the way you say you do it. I want you to do it the way I think you should do it. Then that person is usually um, invited out. And then they point their long bony finger at you and say, you're exclusive. They play the exclusive card, which, as I pointed out in our culture, is quite the shot these days. That's a serious charge. How do you handle that moment? Have you had a moment like that? Um, I'm trying to think of – I mean, I've had conversations with people. I I can't – honestly, I can't think of a time when somebody in my church said, I'm here to turn this church into X denomination and – or I'm here to change this theological belief or this practice. I have, but I have had lots of conversations with people who say Christian Christian church is exclusive, or your denomination is too exclusive, or whatever. And I, again, I think that the 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 my primary go to move is to say, well, on the basis of what, like how how are we excluding you? 
on, on what basis are we excluding you? And, and and usually the answer will be like, well, I think you insist that you've got to do you 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 insist that you've got to believe in Jesus, but or I, I'm just making something up now. You insist that you know you have to believe in Jesus in order to be a member of your group, and that's exclusive. And I would say, so you don't believe in Jesus then, right? I mean, they might, this is a long conversation, but they might say something like, well, I think he's important and he's wise and whatever, good teacher, whatever, but not like, not, not like you do. And I said, okay, so if I, come, if, if, I'm, if, if I come to you and I say, you and I agree on this, I, you and I agree about Jesus, and you, you're going to say to me, no, we don't. You think he's the savior character. And I just think he's a wise teacher. And I, and I will say, so then you're excluding me then on the basis of your belief. If not, you should let me be. Why, you table turner, you. <laughs> well, no, I, it's, it's, it's not necessarily like this. It's not necessarily meant to be some sort of like rhetorical or debate trick. It, what I'm trying to do is to expose that everybody is exclusive. You know, when you point your finger at somebody and you say, you're exclusive, what you're doing is you're saying, I have some sort of belief that you have kicked me out, and I'm not willing to change, that makes me exclusive. I have a belief that I'm willing to be kicked out for or that I'm not willing to change in order to be included. And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. It's actually intellectually honest to say, I don't agree with you about something. And But but we have to recognize it. We have to recognize that we do, all of us, that, that there is nobody who is completely relativistic. There's nobody who says, it doesn't matter what you believe. You can be a part of my group. Nobody actually says, I mean, people say it out loud, but nobody actually means it. There's always a boundary. We started off saying very nice, inclusive things. Uh, A person who had joined us early in in our program might have thought, well, I like these guys. They love everybody. They're they're all for inclusion in every way. We used a couple of scriptures to sort of demonstrate that, Mm -hmm. and you fully agreed with it. Yes. Then comes John 14 where Jesus says, no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, if you're involved in a conversation about inclusion and exclusion with somebody, sort of the, what we've been describing here, this is a flashpoint. You can say all the platitudes you want about how inclusive and open we are. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, mm-hmm. neither male nor female. Right. It's just kumbaya. And then you get to this one, and you just run aground. Uh, this is an exclusive claim. So if if you intend to come to God through any other means other than Jesus Christ, yeah. you're not going to get there, right. period. That is very offensive, as I'm sure you know, to a good number of people, particularly these days when inclusion is such a, a celebrated thing. Um, you ever— Come across this uh, text, uh, have a, a conversation with somebody about this particular verse. Yeah, this is like you said. This is the um, this is the primary problem that our culture has with Christianity it, it, is that it's exclusive in terms of its insistence that Jesus is the only way to God, and that you know a lot of people say that's not that's not true. There's lots of ways to God. I was talking with a, a, a Muslim friend a couple of weeks ago who uh, had said to me, we worship the same God, th- those sorts of things. And um, this, is, this is the boundary point, to use your language. This is the boundary of Christianity is 
Jesus. Our, our boundary is a person, Jesus. In terms of who's in, who can be in, it's everybody. And you don't have to be a certain race to be in. You don't have to be a certain political party to be in. You don't have to be uh, lots of people with different personality types. Lots of people within the Christian church who struggle with different levels of brokenness. You know, I personally know people in the church who are alcoholics and are freely welcomed into the church. And they're, they're struggling with that, you, you, you know, but the, the church doesn't exclude alcoholics. I know people who've cheated on their spouse, freely welcomed into the church. I know people who struggle with all different, all, all different kinds of um, sexual brokenness, stuff that they're struggling with, all of them welcomed to the church. I know people who've been addicted to gambling, people who've gotten fired because they stole, uh, people who um, mistreat their children. And everybody in, everybody in the Christian church has these points where in any other venue in the world, they'd be excluded. Uh, there's something that would pro- prohibit them from being a part of a club, whether it's an official club, you know, like the PTA, or whether it's just the, the good citizen club that I mean, it's not official, you know, but everybody kind of knows this is, this is one of the good people. And so the Christian church is, is wildly inclusive. The only, the only boundary, it's the only boundary, it's, it has less boundaries than any other group, is that you have to believe in Jesus. That's the only boundary. You have to believe that Jesus is the God-man who died for our sins and rose from the dead. And inside of that, it's just massively large. However, n- nobody wants to have somebody in charge of them because, like I said, the the the, the cultural milieu is personal freedom, and uh, believing in Jesus challenges that. It challenges that. Even if Jesus is beautiful and wonderful and welcomes all to Him, the notion that I have to believe in something outside of myself that I don't like or that I uh, that's not me, Jesus is difficult for people. So maybe there's a way to soften this blow. We started out being inclusive. Now we've moved in the direction of exclusion here by saying there's only one way to God, and that's through his son, Jesus Christ. That's yeah. a, that is a, an exclusive claim, and there's no compromising it. It's a hard blow. But maybe we can soften it up. You know, people do say, as you pointed out, uh, well, you know, yeah, I believe in one God, but there are many paths to that God. As a matter of fact, I believe that God is the author of that those many paths. Mm-hmm. So if your path is through Muhammad and, and to Allah, that's that's just a different path, same God. We say things like that, and it affords us the opportunity to nod and and you know retain our fraternity um, and continue to coexist, just right. like the bumper sticker, coexist. But. The words of Jesus don't seem to allow for that. I'm going to quote a couple of scriptures here in a little bit, but I want to get your reaction to this. Uh, Jesus seems to take a hard line on this. He's not interesting, interested in softening the blow or right. weakening the concept. He, he goes the opposite direction. Am I right? Yeah. So first of all, so first of all let, let me just point out, that the belief that there are many pathways to God is itself a religious belief. And so by definition is exclusive. If I disagree with you, I'm excluded from that. I, I know it has, I know it smells like it's softer and more welcoming 
but, but it is itself exclusive. That's the first thing. And, and so it needs to be recognized that that doesn't actually make it more inclusive. It, it is itself a religious belief. Um, second thing, though, is it really comes down to whether it's true or not. Is it true? And if it's true that all these paths lead to God, okay, that's that's fine. That's great. Let's, everybody can do what they want. I mean, the problem, though, is that this is this is the way the Bible describes it, and this is just human personal experience, is that God is an impossible destination. You can say there's like five paths to God or an infinite number of paths to God, and he's built all those paths. But the Bible insists, and my own personal experience affirms, not just my personal experience with, with my own psyche, but like in my conversations with others, is that God is unapproachable. Like you just can't get to him. You can't say, well, okay, I'm going to get to God. I'm going to choose a path here, and then I'm going to get to God. Everybody I talks to, everybody I talk to says, I don't even, how, how can you know God? How can I be? You can't see him. You, you can't, uh, you know, you can't hear him audibly. How can I be sure? I mean, I walk into a church or I look at the Grand Canyon or I hold my grandbabies in my arms and I think, oh, God just feels near to me. But how can I be sure? Nobody actually, so, so the Bible describes it less as paths up the mountain to God, which can be accessed and more like uh, from the princess bride, more like the cliffs of insanity. You know, you, you just you, you just can't make it. You, there's no way to get up. There's no paths. There's no way to get up there. He's unapproachable. And I just like I said, my own personal experience, my personal experience talking to unbelievers and believers alike, as well as the Bible's description of a God who can't be approached. Nobody has ever seen God. The Book of John says, and that that's I, I think that's actually the truth. And now the question is, with a God that can't be approached, with a God with no paths going up to him, what are you going to do then? I mean, you can say all you want. It sounds nice to say there's all these paths to God. But if I get to the base of the mountain and there's not all these paths, it doesn't help me. And the Bible insists that there is no, actually, there's no way up the cliffs of insanity unless you get carried up there. And that's why Jesus doesn't say, so, so let me say it this way. In, in that illustration that you gave about the, um, Multiple paths to God. That's actually the way all religions outside of Christianity and all philosophies describe it, is that there are paths to God, and our philosophy, our religion, can show you how to get up those paths. Christianity says there are no paths. God's unapproachable. Somebody's going, somebody's going to have to carry you up the cliffs of insanity. And that's why Jesus doesn't say, I'll show you the way. He says, I am the way. And that's what makes it so exclusive. That's really an important point. Very, very important. It's, it's and it's what that's why it's so exclusive is because what we want we're, we're cool. Like if Muhammad can show us the way, or if Warren Buffett can show us the way, or if Doctor Ruth can show us whatever it is your God that you worship can show you the way to happiness. Okay, I can do it on my own, but Jesus doesn't show us the way. Jesus is the way, and to insist that really the only way to get up there is not. But you can't do it your own. There's no self help manual. There's no books written by gurus to tell you how to do this. You gotta trust in Jesus. That's very, very exclusive. But it's for everybody. It's for the poor. It's for the rich. It's for the black. It's for the white. It's for the horrible, sinful people. It's for the good, moral people. It's for the. It's for everybody. So here are a couple of scriptures from the New Testament that I think demonstrate the hard line that Jesus Himself takes on exclusion. From Matthew ten, verse twenty-eight. Jesus says, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, 
Fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. In hell. Now, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that hell is, is the place where the excluded people wind up. Uh, and then from Revelation 20, verse 15, uh, John writes, If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire, or I guess hell. Uh, it's it's not just exclusive, it's terrifyingly exclusive. Right. So all that goodwill that we established at the beginning of our conversation seems now to have been taken away. How do you react to that? Well, yeah, so so with the Revelation passage, actually there's a, a passage which refers to this book of life a few chapters prior to the one you quoted where it calls it the Lamb's book of life. Uh, again, the source of Christian exclusivity is the Lamb, which, you know, in in biblical parlance is Jesus, the Lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. Um, is that exclusive? Yes, of course it's exclusive to say that Jesus is the only way to avoid the fire. Look, if I'm in a burning building and I, I'm in a room and the building's on fire, it's on fire around me, the room is filled with smoke, I crumple to the floor because it's the only place that I can breathe. I'm disoriented. I can't see where I'm going. I don't know how to get out. And somebody comes and picks me up and says, I know the way out. I can get you out of here. And if I say, well, yeah, uh, that's too exclusive for me. I, I, there's got to be other paths to get out of here. Certainly, that's the case. And and I push this guy aside and don't let him save me. It's kind of on me. Like, are, are we willing to die for it's, inclusivity? It's definitely on you. Are, are we willing to be destroyed for inclusivity? Um, I, I think that we'll find in the end that hell is the most inclusive of all places as well. Hell welcomes whoever wants to go there. <laughs> You know, just I, again, I, I feel like I, I feel like I do commercials for this book every time we talk. But uh, C.S. Lewis's Great Divorce, like hell's more than willing to welcome whoever wants to go there, and it's more than willing to exclude those who don't want to be there. Jesus comes to rescue us. We we are less like we're less like shoppers at Walmart deciding which brand of socks we want to get the cheaper socks or the more durable expensive socks and deciding which one fits with our pocketbook and making sort of like rational choices. We're, we're, we're less like people standing before the pantry deciding whether we're going to eat, you know, Lucky Charms or Fruit Loops for breakfast. And we're more like people crumpled up on the floor, disoriented, not really knowing where to go. And, and when the one person who built the house knows how to save us from the fire, knows how to put the fire out and rescue the building in the end, comes into the room and picks us up and says, I can take care of this. It would be foolish to pass up that opportunity just because we'd prefer to do it on our own or we don't like the jib of the guy who walked into the room to do this. That would just be foolishness. The question is not, do you like Jesus? The question is not, you know, I think it's offensive that he's the only way and he would say things like that. That's not the question. The question is, is like, how am I going to get out of this fire? And so when you read texts like that in Revelation, I, you know, uh, I think it's best to read them less as, uh, I'm going to end up wanting to qualify this when I'm done saying it, so forgive me. It's best to, to, to read them less as warnings of impending future, future eternal punishment and more as promises of rescuing from that punishment 
if we'll just trust the one who knows how to get us out of it. So there we've sort of made the case for God as inclusive, and then we made the case for God as exclusive. The, uh, the people who love inclusion were very happy when we started. They're maybe not so happy now. Uh, do you celebrate the exclusive nature of Christianity, God? Yeah, I mean, you've got to, right? I mean, it's, it's, again, th- there's no such thing as inclusive people versus exclusive people. We're all inclusive and we're all exclusive. We all have people on the inside of our groups and we all have boundaries that keep outsiders out. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's intellect- In fact, it's unavoidable. You can't be completely inclusive, else life is meaningless, else there's no difference between me, who doesn't play tennis, and the tennis player who does play tennis, which just doesn't make any sense. So we celebrate our inclusion and our exclusion both. The things that, if you're a Cardinals fan, do you celebrate being a Cardinals fan? It's a baseball team, if anybody's listening outside the St. Louis area. Do, do you celebrate? Of course you do. Do you feel bad because, well, it's just not very nice to those Padres fans to, that I feel like I'm just so, I just like these Cardinals so much. No, you would never feel bad about that. There are Cardinals fans who you rejoice to watch games with, and you rejoice in that. And you rejoice, if, if there's no such thing, if there's no such thing as exclusivity, games are meaningless. There's no point in playing a game where there's no teams. And so, yes, you celebrate that. And on a much higher level, there's a lot of things that are on a higher level than baseball fandom. But on a much higher level, do I celebrate the fact that the God of the universe has created a plan to rescue us and then says, I can do this. It's the only way that it can be done. Of course you celebrate that. And you long for the people who don't understand that yet to want to be in on the group as well and to tell them there's nothing keeping you outside of this group, whatever it is, whatever it is that you struggle, whatever your hobbies are, wherever you're at in life, whatever that, you know, whatever you think about politics or economics or social issues or whatever you think about Padres fans or Cardinals fans, you are more than welcome in here and you're called to be in here. That's I, We got to celebrate both of those, the inclusivity and the exclusivity of Jesus. So let me try to sum this up quickly as to what I think I've heard you saying here. And that is that as Christians, as, as people who identify as Christians, we are part of a, 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 a decidedly exclusive group. Mm-hmm. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. And if you, someone holds a different perspective, then they cannot be part of this group. While at the same time, while proclaiming that truth, there is nobody to whom I can say, you are not worthy to hear my message. I'm not interested in sharing the message that I have with you because you're rich or you're poor or you're white or you're black or you're male or you're female. I am obligated to be inclusive with the truth that I have with everybody. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. It's, this, is, this is a good way to – this is a good point to make too, Chuck, that you kind of led me into here. One of the problems with this is that Christians have frequently said Christianity is exclusive. Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. That's true. But that this group is – but in order to get there, in order to get into our group, you have to look like us. You need to act a certain way, look a certain way. That's definitely an exclusivity that the Bible condemns. The only way to get in is Jesus. And anybody who struggles with any kind of sin can get in. Anybody who looks a certain any kind of way, anybody who's got any kind of amount of money can get in. And so once you get in, th- th- that, that, of course, is the inclusivity. 
But the church has done a bad job of welcoming people, and I'm talking about like individual churches now, has done a bad job of welcoming people that look differently than it or act differently or have different worldviews. And what the church should be doing is insisting on this inclusivity, that there is no Jew nor Greek, there's no male nor female, there's no um, slave nor free inside of Jesus, and making the focus of the exclusivity not on how do we look or how do we behave or even what do we believe, that, that all can be dealt with later inside the group. The focus should be on Jesus of Nazareth. There's no way to get into the sheepfold except through his door. That's the exclusive nature that's really good and should be celebrated. So, dear listener, we leave you with the challenge of understanding the inclusivity and exclusivity of God in the proper context as those two things fit together. And if that proves to be a challenge for you, then God bless you and uh, and stay on the, on the course. Thanks for listening to Craving Answers, Craving God with Aaron Miller. He's the pastor at St. James Lutheran Church in Glen Carbon, Illinois. Now, if you enjoy these conversations, please tell your friends about us and be sure to click the like button on our episode page. For Aaron Miller, I'm Chuck Rathard. Thanks for listening to Craving Answers, Craving God.